You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars, where we talk smart and fuck smarter. I'm Nicoletta, and I'm a marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And I'm Simone. I'm Nicoletta's friend. I'm a law student, and I'm really stressed out because finals are coming up. Anyway, welcome no. to Sluts and Scholars. Um, the person you just heard saying no is the highly sympathetic Zoe Ligon. She's a <laughs> she's a Detroit-based sex educator, journalist, and artist who is also the proprietor, proprietress, proprietor of Progressive Online <laughs> Sex Toy Emporium Spectrum Boutique, where she has made it her life's work to blast away the stigmas and misinformation that prevent us from having the amazing sex we all deserve. Zoe has a background in social social psychology, harm reduction, and inclusive pleasure-focused sex education. Fuck yeah. Yay! You know what's cool about that bio is that there's really no academia in there. (laughs) I don't know. Background in social psychology... That's true. I've what, been doing a lot of thinking about. Do you want well, us to know about? Oh no, there's none. That's that's the point I'm trying to to make is that I've I've been doing so much thinking about what qualifies people in the sex education realm to be an expert or not. Mm-hmm. And while there are so many amazing programs to get oneself certified, I'm just really all about like oh, like I, I got to make a bio? Like how do I, I make this given that like I have all this experience talking to people about sex, but also like I didn't go above a BS in psychology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think, and I'm constantly like asked, oh, like how do I get into sex education? As if, you know, because there's no track in university for that, you know? <laughs> it's like, how yeah, how do you get into sex education if you're not at a, you know, the San Francisco, you know, sex institute or something like that. Anyway. Well, let's talk, let's talk yeah, about that. Yeah, answer your own question. Yeah. I, I've been thinking about this too because I did a panel presentation, not a panel presentation. I did like a group workshop with two friends of mine, one of whom is a clinical psychologist and the other of whom, uh, you know, just has undergrad studies degrees like myself. And the entire workshop was kind of like, let's all brainstorm with the attendees um, different avenues of resource sharing and self-education that are free or are inexpensive, essentially like finding ways to give people a foot in the door to the realm of sex education if they aren't trying to go the route of a university or official accreditation program that ends up costing thousands of dollars. Um, and I, I don't know, I, given that this is sluts and scholars, I think it's an interesting conversation given that we're like having a changing narrative on, you know, college and Mm -hmm. just like between my parents' generation and my generation, how different the perception of like needing to go to college to be successful and also 
how who college is for. Mm-hmm. And if you go to college, oh, God. Totally. I, I mean, I think it's a bigger conversation around privilege. I mean, I think something definitely. we talk about on here is we've had folks who have degrees, who don't have degrees, who have many degrees. And I think at the same time, also the hope is to empower people that everyone can be their own individual, like scholar of their own sexuality. Exactly. And, yeah. And have access to that and, and learn about that for themselves. I think, I think there's pros and cons to having both. Like it's important to empower lay people to sex educate and get that and educate others. And there's some space, I think, for the scholarly aspect of it, but both have some limitations. I think for me, I definitely, um, neither one of my parents graduated college and I felt the pressure go what? growing up. Mm-hmm. Huh. I felt the, I mean, they had privileges in, in other ways, but um, I felt the pressure growing up that I was supposed to, that I had to get a higher degree to do what I wanted to do, both in my yeah. field, but also to be taken seriously as a, as a female. Mm-hmm. I, that's definitely a message I got growing up as well. That you have to go to college? Mm-hmm. And yeah. that I have to continue pursuing higher education until I can't fucking do it anymore. But I also need to work the entire time. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> I mean, I also think there's an element of like reinforcing hierarchies that comes with this belief that you have to have education and the types of people who are indoctrinated with the idea that a degree translates to legitimacy and like that it's a necessity. And it's really interesting that you're both bringing this up in the context of sex education because there's kind of a whole thing in the law school situation right now with Kim Kardashian getting a law degree. Um, Oh, no. No, which I think is honestly fucking great. And you don't- (laughs) But it brings up so much OJ stuff also, you know? Yes, it definitely does. But the important thing that I'm trying to to underscore here is that- Sure. There are other ways to become lawyers besides getting a JD and going to a three-year institution that, you know, the more prestigious it is, the better at jo- the better shot you have a better shot you have at having a good job. Um, but the more expensive it is and it involves getting into two hundred thousand dollars of debt or and knowing that you'll be able to pay it off or having a way to pay it. And there is this alternative way to get a JD, which is, you know, you apprentice with a firm for four years and kind of, I think, are dismissing Kim Kardashian's mode of getting her degree is a form of trying to reinforce the elitist hierarchies that it means to be able to access higher education and also, like, belittling her for being what a lot of people would consider a slut or an openly sexual being. Um, and so I think that's all kind of tied up into it as well. Like, questioning her Or just because she's wealthy. What about being wealthy? Um, that she has access to all this. I think, uh, you know, she's spoken out about it, but amidst the um, the college buying in scandals, I'm sure that plays a part in people's views about- Oh my like, God. Gaining, uh, gaining access uh, to I've been education. following that closely as well. Yes. I think, I think for me, I, on one hand, respect aspects of the Kardashian empire, but as a whole- find it incredibly disturbing how this group of women has, I mean, there's so much going on here. It's definitely like a co-opting and appropriation of black culture for sure. Um, It's it's just, it's such a complex issue when it comes to like, (laughs) 
Like the Kendall Jenner Pepsi commercial and just like the fact that you could (laughs) say yes to something like that. And then like fire festival and, and it's not just the appropriation. It's like the, maybe this isn't something I want to spend part of the podcast talking about, (laughs) but it's like, and then the OJ stuff, it's just like. I agree that I think that I think that the slut shaming aspects are really fucked up and the belittling. Like I had this feeling when Kim Kardashian was robbed in Paris. Like I was like, I don't care how rich she is, this woman is traumatized, and that's like yeah. not a laughing matter. Mm-hmm. So on that hand, I agree, but it's also just like whew, that family yeah. has a, a disturbing history, in my opinion, and yeah. uses their power irresponsibly at times. Well, so that in order that we don't make this a Kardashian <laughs> podcast, which I guess yeah. we could if we wanted to, to yeah. Loop yeah. Already. Back, yeah, to loop it back around. Let's loop it back. Despite not having a, a quote unquote degree in sex education, you are super successful. You have your own sex shop. You do talks. You do videos. You have a huge following. So, like, you're an example that you don't have to have more. So, yeah, I do. I mean, this is a thing I talk about constantly because it comes up so much, but I definitely had have financial pr- privilege in that having my dad passed away when I was 22, 23. God, I can't believe I like don't remember how old I was. I guess I was 22. But um, I was left money by him, which is how I started Spectrum. Mm. And it's been really interesting because my the landscape of my mind right now is this very dark hole of realizing that when I signed up to be a business owner, I signed up to participate in a world that of capitalism and mm-hmm. sex that is not just exclusive to pleasure and orgasms. It is navigating shady business people and working with companies. Like, there is... There have been so many sex toy companies and makers of sex products where it's like, yeah, the the products themselves are body safe and whatever, but there is either a shitty owner, they handle things shittily, their products have questionable naming. There are so many things. Do you have any examples of either... Things that sh- you don't have to name, obviously, but like things <laughs> yeah, that I mean, I got a season or shitty practices, or like <laughs> I'm very curious about shittily named products, but that might be calling it out. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I got a cease and desist a couple weeks ago from talking about one particular manufacturer that I had an issue with. I don't know that I can go into detail at the moment because it's Jeez. also like, here's the thing it's like brand, it's, it's like brands that I that I work with, and the good news is that sometimes I am able to just fully um, break ties with a company. Like I started carrying rope from a company recently, and I break and, ties. <laughs> yeah, here's here's one here's one I do feel comfortable talking about, but this is not. This is not a company I do business with anymore. I think what I'm really trying to say here is, is that there is no company on the face of this planet 
Like there is no such thing as a company that is like 100% ethical in my opinion. And like, I guess mm-hmm. that includes me as well. I guess what I'm trying to say is, is if you are participating in capitalism, like you are participating in capitalism, you yeah. can't, you cannot have everything be perfect. And there are so many brands that I see other inclusive retailers really uplifting who are just like, well, we have to choose to turn a blind eye to like this shitty thing that their owner did a few years ago because that's the only option for this corner of the market. Um, oh, God. I don't, know, re- I don't know if this happens for you, but since you have this this online presence, I imagine there are haters and people mm-hmm. who say things, or not even just mean things, but people who challenge, people who are like, you need to do better. Um, right. And so I can't imagine what the pressure is between having to make money, having to decide what products to sell, mm-hmm. and trying to appease the consumers when they maybe keep naming like, well, this this product yeah. is unethical, this product is unethical. Well, the good thing- What do you even that, sell? I also feel like there's like a duality of like who your consumers are, right? There's the consumers mm-hmm. of your store, but you also have like a very significant Instagram and also Twitter presence. And so I think there are people that are like consumers of you, your personality, your body, your internet presence, and then the consumers that you're reaching through your store. And I figure that's also probably like a interesting line. Yeah. I think it's, I'm really glad that I chose to have the toys and I'm trying to make it more so that the education is living on the spectrum social media accounts. But it is definitely like a divide where I want to infuse my personality and creativity and just like the weird shit that my brain farts out on a daily basis in one place and then keep a channel more exclusively for education and just like general product information. But I guess I don't know. I felt really educated (laughs) by your um, crash into me dance remix video. That oh my god, felt really meaningful and educational. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love fucking dancing to shitty fucking songs. (laughs) I love watching you dance to shitty songs, and it inspires me to do more of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like I, I guess I don't like intend to have that be educational, but if that makes somebody feel like wow, like I can look like a fool on the internet and it is like really education and liberation. It's it's permanent yet it's so impermanent. Everything you post on the internet is forever, but how long will people give a shit about it? That is another question. Um, So, okay. So what I want to say is like, I I have a unique position as a retailer. I'm carrying other brands. I don't create my own product parentheses yet, but um, I find that so much of it is an issue. It's like, okay, so if I have to work with other humans and all humans are flawed, I need to navigate which issues are the ones that I can completely, uh, that that I have to completely sever ties with this company for versus the things where I can hold them accountable, have a conversation about it, um, find some happy medium there. But I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I can't think of a single company or business and that goes outside of the sex toy industry where I couldn't point to a single thing and be like, you know, like this is a participation in capitalism and, uh, and that in itself isn't always a negative thing. But then you just like, 
you have to align yourself with other people and aligning yourself with other people who, God, you just go down this wormhole of conflict and also abuse. And it's hard to decipher sometimes what are conflicts versus abuse. Mm. And conflict often gets conflated into abuse and then real abuse is not taken as seriously as it should. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I need to sit down and read this book, but I've listened to interviews with this woman kind of just talking about how conflict does get conflated into abuse. Um, and then abuse isn't taken as seriously as it should. And this is, I guess, relevant because it's like, here I am as a retailer of all these different brands. And like, again, the vast majority, if not every single one, I could point to something that I find unsavory about them. And I'm sure somebody could do that with my company, regardless of my intention. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like, <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is that I thought it was going to be all dildos and rainbows. And then I realized three and a half years in that like I am as much of a business person like I feel like I ended up being this like like I'm in this position where I have to be this mishmash of Tony Soprano and Don Draper and I don't want to be either of them and I think it's also a really interesting thing that you're saying about you're a retailer you carry brands but I'm curious about what you think of the idea that you're also a brand not only as I, the, yeah. not only as the shop, but at Thongria or however you pronounce it, which is you know yeah, that what is does exactly Thongria how mean? I pronounce it. Uh, I'll tell you the story about that. It's, but I just want to know I, for I just want to un- say for our listeners that this is like a very <laughs> you have a very popular Instagram account with like I think over two hundred thousand followers, mm-hmm. and so in the world of you know influencers, I think it's I think obviously you are one, and I think influencers have brands or are brands, and I'm curious how you would speak to that. <laughs> Um, oh God. (laughs) So Thongria, the name, oh my God. If I, I'm really bad at naming things. I got that name because I used to moderate OkCupid. I was like one of the admins who would like go through all the flagged content. And I was banning, I was banning accounts one day, which was my job. And one of the accounts I had to ban was called Thongria. <laughs> oh, like Songria, like Sangria. Is it like yeah, that? but with a thong? Truly, never and occurred I, to me. And, and I, think I was that's just like, "LOL, brilliant. what a cute pun!" And then I was like, "Well, so like I made it Thongria before I had this many followers. Like I was like, this will be my new throwaway Instagram name." But then, like, <laughs> <laughs> then the account happened to blow up from an article that I wrote. About three or four years ago, that was when I first got like my first influx of followers, and then I was like, "Well, there's not really any going back now." <laughs> like I'm, I am Thongria, and I'll like have people. Like I'll never forget. I mean, this happens kind of often, but like I've one time I was like in the Metropolitan Museum of Art with my mom, and somebody just yells Thongria. You know, like it's weird. <laughs> To like have people not know your name and just know you as this like random handle that you very unceremoniously choose for yourself. (laughs) I want to know about the OkCupid content. When I was working at a sex toy store in Manhattan when I was, I think this is pretty much public knowledge, but I used to work at Babeland when I was 21. And my my side, I was not paid very much, so my side hustle was uh, OkCupid. And I I I think that that there was a few other 
coworkers of mine who worked for OkCupid, and I think that they chose us simply because, like, you have a lot of moral, ethical space you have to navigate as somebody moderating any website, but specifically a dating website. There are things, like, there are a set of rules, but there are so many things that would fall into, like, the moderator's discretion. Like, for instance, there was no... There was rules against hate speech and homophobia and racism and all that stuff, but like there was no rule against fat phobia. So it was like I had to take that into my own hands of like if somebody oh. is being fat phobic and like being harassing users based on their size, then I am personally making the decision that that is worth a ban, for instance. You know, there's so many other things that were not outlined as part of the rules and regulations, but I was just like, well, my moral compass says that this is not a behavior that is appropriate for a dating website. So getting to see private conversations between people that they have no... Well, it's like... This is my dream. Listen, I've known for a long time that all of our shit is being watched, and I don't know, like, how far into detail to go, but let me just say, like, I know a lot of... I used to know a lot of military folks, and living very close to the NSA, you just, like... You meet people who work for the NSA, and you hear things. Um... So I fully believe that we are surveilled and have been for a long time. And and it's done in ways that I think are very transparent, but are kind of like in the user agreements that people don't read. But also I think it's done in ways that are um, shady and subversive and a full, you know, like violation of, of privacy that aren't outlined in things like user agreements. But... Um, I also don't think that, like, I, you know, me texting about weed is something that, like, the NSA is spying on me for. I think it's more just, like, we don't realize how easy our private information is accessible if there is any warrant to investigate you, essentially. Yeah, but so, not, not even to, on the state level. Like, Nicoletta, do you want to share that experience that you told me? Yeah, about? I was, like, fucking biting my nails over here to share this with you. Go. Oh, do um, it. Yeah. What's your experience? My, oh, my God, this happened the other <laughs> week. I thought, well, firstly, I thought my dad was, like, having a stroke because we're all downstairs, and he came down, and he was like, there's a man in my TV. <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah, it's a, t- you know, of course, it's a, t- it's a TV. Uh-oh. What the fuck is happening? <laughs> And we have now, I didn't know this was a thing, but we have figured out that if you have a smart TV, especially a Samsung- It watches you. It watches you and that people can easily hack in and listen and watch you. So apparently the guy doing it was like a newbie because then my dad saw him and he saw my dad. And the guy was was like, whoa, fuck. And then like closed his computer. But we like saw the guy. What did he look like? I don't know. He said some some like brown haired white dude. And so Oh my So fucking terrifying. So this is just the only time we've seen him. Is there a camera embedded in it? Yes. In some of the smart TVs, they just have a camera and it doesn't like show a light when the camera is on. So you could literally just be being watched and listened to. Either I this sounds like so like I have tinfoil on my head, but by the government or by no, some random no, dude in a fucking I've read articles about that. That's real. Well, I guess that what I'm trying to say regarding OK Cupid also is like, <laughs> I think that people think that it's like, 
I mean, the internet does this to everyone. If it's if you're communicating with an internet person or you're conceptualizing the moderator as a stranger in the world reading your personal messages, like same goes for Facebook chat, for instance, or Messenger, whatever. It's like you literally think like, oh, well, this is my personal messages. Why would anybody ever read this? Well, all it takes is somebody reporting the conversation for me to fucking look at it. Um, And there were so many times where I was just like reading very, reading everything from like scammer conversations to sex work you know, solicitation and negotiation. I just got to see so many dialogues that, you know, not the average person does not get to see. Um, Do you think that's why you've chosen to be so open on some of your platforms? You're like, well, hmm. they're going to find it anyway. It's I'll not, it's not it. why, but I definitely am like, okay, if I got hacked and my nudes were leaked, like... I don't think that that would, it would definitely emotionally affect me having my privacy invaded, but I'm also just like, there isn't any secret that you could leak on my behalf. You know, I certainly would never want to be doxxed because that would be, you know. Unsafe. That would, yeah, that would would put my my physical safety into, but I, I guess as far as like nude images or like facts about me, like there isn't, Outside of things where it's like not my information to share to the world because it's somebody close to me is like I'm a pretty open book. Um, <laughs> I mean, we went so full circle with this. I'm realizing that I I never got to finish saying what happened with this rope creator, and I guess to just like wrap that up, it's <laughs> like I started carrying this rope and I posted about it. And people were just like, that's MMA trope. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. (laughs) And they were like, no, 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 like you don't know, I guess you don't know this, but like this person has a lot of abuse allegations against them specifically in the DDLG community, you know, daddy, dom, little girl. And our listeners know know all about that. (laughs) Okay. Yes. So I don't know about that. We're big fans. Yeah. I don't know about I, I mean, I know about the community, but I didn't know about this particular rope maker having abuse oh, yeah, allegations. So it was like in that instance, it was a an instance where I was able to be like, okay, like I just put this product up today. I am going to take it down and get a refund and say, you know, thanks, but no thanks. And call it a day because there's so many other rope makers out there. I really want to support somebody who is not just making a great product, but is a great person because I believe that where you spend your doll hairs is voting. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, I guess just as an example of something that felt like a very feasible uh, thing to do, whereas like there are other companies where it's like just so much unresolved, like there's a lot of like intercommu- intra community conflict that's very hard to sort out for me personally. Like, um, it's difficult also as somebody like myself where it's like I'm always going to believe um, a survivor or somebody who is saying that they had a traumatizing experience with somebody. I am always by default going to believe that person. So given that that is who I am, it also is like, okay, but when is when 
do I have to take more steps to investigate something? And like, I don't like to do that because to me, it's like, I don't want to invalidate what I believe is a truth, Mm -hmm. regardless of whether it is objectively what happened or there are two sides to the story, which sometimes is the case. It's just like, it's very hard for me as like a hyper empathetic person to know how to navigate business, given that it is not black and white. And sometimes you can make easy decisions, but more often than not, it's just like, these are all just like a bunch of humans running companies and those humans, like every other human has their fucked up issues. And it's so much more about the way that people respond to their blunders and yeah. try to make up for it afterwards than the thing itself. Anyway, I don't, it's also I don't really fucking hard have when the answers. Someone, when you like find out about allegations about someone that you like really respect or is like maybe a figurehead in your community. Um, yeah. And as someone who also will always believe a survivor, it's like really hard to confront that like little I know personally that little piece of me that's like, no, please don't, please don't be true. But like, I, I automatically yeah. believe them. Like that happened in, in, I don't know how much you know about Dr. Willie Parker and mm-hmm. um, the abortion access movement, but he's been a real figurehead as an abortion mm-hmm. provider and allegations came out against him about a month mm-hmm. ago. And it's just like, fuck. Yeah. And like the little part of you that's like, No, no, it's such a struggle to deal with. I think that what makes it very difficult for us to navigate also is that, like, I think that cancel culture is toxic. That's not Mm. to say that there aren't people who need to take some space and step down and relinquish their power. But I think that the fact that we are so quick to cancel people especially mm-hmm. within the um, social justice and, you know, sex advocacy work. Um, yeah. It really is muting the dialogue because it makes people afraid to have difficult discussions because if they say one thing out of line, they fear getting canceled. And then, again, it's like, that's not to say that when people do and say fucked up things, they shouldn't be accountable for it, but... I am really disturbed by the way we try to do accountability on the internet because I don't believe it's accountability. I think that there are people who really think that they're doing... I think it is bullying, and I think there are people who think that they're doing the right thing. I I definitely think the intention is, is, is coming from a good place, but it actually just makes it so much more difficult to... Yeah, really dig in and have these difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. But that's totally not, agree. again, not, not an excuse for abuse. <laughs> but I, I guess I, I'm so lucky because I have a therapist who is very much a, an activist in, in our community here. And thankfully, we have enough of a separation of our immediate circles that she can be my therapist because I would probably be her friend if I met her mm-hmm. outside of therapy. Yeah, but that's it's tough really, sometimes. I have some clients like that. Yeah, it's been really nice to be able to talk to her about these really nuanced issues. God, I just, I love I love when I, I'm, I'm brought on to a podcast to talk about pleasure things and just make it depressing as fuck, don't you? <laughs> I don't think this we is depressing. This is real talk. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's it's reality, I suppose. Um. <laughs> but let's talk about fucking and pleasure. Yeah, let's talk <laughs> about fucking and pleasure. I'm like, I could just, 
I guess I just keep having to to tie that up as a 26-year-old who's turning 27 on Sunday, the 28th of April. Happy almost birthday. <laughs> Upcoming. It's probably going to come out after that. But uh, Everyone buy a toy from Shop Spectrum Boutique. <laughs> I guess it's like I just keep being like, oh, shit. Like being adult just gets more and more difficult. It does not get any easier. I feel like um, <laughs> I, so feel that. I just realized that I'm older than you and I feel like you're adulting far better than I. Oh, <laughs> I mean, thank you, but. I mean, I'm recording this from my dorm room, which has a single bed. <laughs> oh my God. Well, when I had a dorm room, there were three beds in it. So that's pretty cool. Well, you got your I, lived in a closet. <laughs> I lived in a closet with, and seven other people were outside of the closet. Okay, cool. Well, let's make a fucking sharp turn towards, I guess this is, this doesn't have to be a depressing topic, um, but you talk a lot about um, herpes. Yeah. Let's talk about herpes. (laughs) Yeah, I have had oral herpes, which I would have called cold sores as a child, um, my entire life. Um, I remember having them as a kid. I get them every couple of years. Which is like a good reminder that it's a, you know, immunodeficiency thing and that you can exactly. get anything, not just like a slutty person's disease. Yeah. I mean, and even if it was, who cares? Exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I found out that oral, that cold sores are herpes because I gave my high school boyfriend a genital infection of it because I blew him with mm. a cold sore. And that is why oh. sex education is important. <laughs> because they don't teach you that you can transmit it genitally to orally and vice versa. Yes, I had sex education that was comprehensive. I went to a public school district that was one of the best in the country, actually, and a very liberal school district. And we got like all of the education, but it's just like, of course it's 101. It's, you know, you're sex educating teenagers, but I feel as though sex education, even when it's comprehensive, is kind of this like prepackaged thing. And very rarely is it going into the meat of questions that people don't even think to ask. Like I didn't even think to ask are my cold sores herpes? I just had to find out the hard way. But that's like much more practical information than just being like, herpes is a virus that is spread through blah, blah. Like, I feel like um, you get like the bullet points and not the more in-depth aspects of it. And in most sex education, that even goes for sex education for adults. Like, I think that we still need to be providing 101 information, but we need even more 201, 301, et cetera, because, yes. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, just as a journalist, also, like, the articles I would be asked to write would just be, like, can you do another intro to butt play article? Can you do another, you know, intro to vibrate? You know, it's just like, okay, but so, like, like we need to go further beyond that. And because there isn't this, like, wider foundation for sex education, there it's hard to build off, it's hard to build far beyond that when we're still like trying to drill in the basics. So anyway, when it comes to herpes, I mean, 
I've spent a lot of my life being afraid of incurable STIs and um, herpes was never an STI that really concerned me, but Mm -hmm. um, specifically HIV was one that really caused me a lot of fear when I was having sex with a lot of partners. I received... I have well throughout my life I have received three false positive HIV tests and oh my gosh three yeah and I think it's just a thing that is going to be happening to me for the rest of my life it's like once in a blue moon I get false positives and there really isn't a reason or explanation for it although I'm certainly not the only one although it is exceedingly rare but um yeah Yeah, so I got false positive HIV tests, and the first time it happened, I was very scared that it meant I was seroconverting still, or, you know, I just had no idea what it meant, and the fact that nobody could, you know, not even my doctor could explain to me why that was, was further terrifying, and it's really just been through anecdotal evidence and a lot of Western blot tests, which are the the more in-depth blood work that you get done and PCR, you know, tests for the virus itself all come back negative. But I guess I've just really come full circle when it comes to STI and STIs and the fear around it. Like I have just, there have been so many times where I thought I was HIV positive and then learned I wasn't and then thought it might be an issue again because it happened three times that um, I feel like I've walked away not feeling immune to the fears of it, but just like very understanding of the nuance of why people react to STIs, specifically incurable ones like herpes and HIV and HPV in many cases with so much fear. Um, I think what is so upsetting for me regarding the stigma around herpes is that, you know, with a few exceptions like encephalitis, herpes is not life-threatening. It's a really inconvenient rash, (laughs) Um, you know, that is an expression of an immune, of a virus that lives in your immune system. Wait, just before we move on to this, I just want to just want to talk about uh, seropositivity for just like one second because I know we've done a few episodes on that. And yeah. um, if you are listening and you are curious about, you know, what it does mean to be a millennial living with HIV, it really isn't the end of the world. And yeah. it's, you know, the drugs out there make it undetectable. Um, and so even though it's very, very scary, it's like very, very far from a death sentence or something Absolutely. that will prevent you from leading a healthy, normal life. Um, yeah. And part of the reason people get so scared when they get an HIV diagnosis is because, I mean, similar to herpes, although with different consequences, there's like this very hegma- uh, st- heavy stigmatization of mm-hmm. HIV um, as well as herpes. But yes, I just wanted to to make that clear before we moved on. But Yeah, now I think it <laughs> is really important I guess I also just bring it up because I I think that everybody, whenever you're diagnosed with anything, it feels like the end of the world regardless of what the the specific thing is. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that people conceptualize things in their brain as being a certain way, and then when it actually happens to you, it feels very different. different. And obviously I cannot, I do not claim to, you know, speak on behalf of like what it actually feels like to receive a positive HIV diagnosis. And, um, you know, I definitely, I, I 
really encourage people to watch things like How to Survive a Plague and all of that because the history and the social political aspects of that are are really an additional layer to it. But to, to return to her. But I think even like the sex positive people yeah. that I know or even clients of mine who say all this stuff anyway when it's actually maybe happened to mm-hmm. them or when they have got a positive diagnosis for something like herpes, they still have a grief reaction or, or a worry of like, how is this going to impact me? Will people reject mm-hmm. me? Um, am I lovable? Yeah. Um, it, I, I like to, are. and I bring up HPV. Yeah, it's true. You, you will always, people will always want to fuck you no matter what. People will love you no matter what. It's not co- always comforting to hear, but it is just like so true in my experience of talking with so many people. Uh, but it, I bring up HPV also because I think that specifically comparing HPV and HSV herpes is a really interesting conundrum because I feel as though herpes is really like stigmatized. It like makes you this monster with warts and sores and HPV can also give you warts. Yeah. But the strains of HPV that are wart causing are not the same ones that are cancer causing. So to put it yes. to put to put it into perspective, it's really interesting how much more of an emphasis and and fear we have around STIs with a physical symptom versus an actual health concern. Um, and that mm. doesn't mean that it isn't scary to have a genital outbreak and that it, of of herpes and that it can't be really painful, especially during your first outbreak, which is generally the worst. But the fact that there isn't this awareness around around HPV and that condoms really can't protect against either herpes or HPV entirely, it's just this thing that has gone completely silent from our sex education dialogue because it's like everybody has HPV. And less so herpes, but um, HPV is a little bit more prevalent than herpes 2, but I think less prevalent than herpes 1. It's so, I've tried so hard to find definitive statistics on this, and the truth is that you just can't find worldwide accurate statistics on it. What is the difference between HSV 1 and HSV 2? Because you can get both of them on your mouth and both of them on your genitals. Yeah, it's like different versions of the same bug. You can have both types in either location, both at the same time in both locations, but it does tend to be that HSV-1 prefers the oral region and HSV-2 prefers the genital region, but they're really, that is not, that is a huge generalization. Uh, the sores yeah, themselves. Yeah, I'm definitely a combo of both in terms of my preferences. <laughs> um, the sores themselves look different too. Like herpes one tend to be like a single sore that looks like more like a a giant zit, whereas the um, expression of HSV two is a little bit more of like the smaller clumped together bumps. Ah. And I think that it is a little bit more stigmatized simply because it does tend to like appear a little bit more like a rash and it's a little bit covers a little bit more surface area. But also, and I think this is a really interesting fun fact that is not it's it's 
definitely backed up by science, but hard to find this information on the internet. But if you already have one type of herpes, it is a little bit more difficult to acquire the other type of herpes. Again, doesn't mean that it doesn't happen, but because the antibodies your immune system the develops is already present. Exactly. They they look very similar. So it, you just have slightly lower chances, but that does by no means mean you're immune. Huh. Many people can contract both at the same time. Another thing is that it like let's say you have herpes one orally and you are you come into contact with a herpes one genitally you may have a outbreak genitally, but because your initial infection site was the oral region, the virus tends to, again, prefer the original infection site. So that is a really interesting thing I learned when I was dating somebody with herpes. I was like, oh, like we should see what type you have because for all we know, I mean, like, and this is like faulty logic that I don't encourage other people to do, but I was like, you know, the chances are that like even if I come into contact with a sore of yours, it might just be an infection that continues to express itself orally for me. But it's like... How did you still enjoy your sex life um, with yourself and maybe with that other person? Oh. Um, because the way we're talking about it now, like, yeah, this is educational and fast right. and helpful, but I think for a lot of people, they can make it can make them feel like it's not sexy <laughs> um, or it takes away from the intimacy. Right. Maybe mm. I know like sexual health is sexy to us. Yeah. But I wonder like yeah, I mean, for, like, for others. I think that so much of sex is unsexy and it's really like our jobs to like shift the paradigm and be like, no, this is sexy. Um, and I think what is sexy about herpes is the conversations that it prompts and the, at least given that this was the first time I had dated somebody with herpes, it prompted me to be like, okay, let's do some math here. If one in five people has genital herpes or whatever the statistic is, um, that means that, you know, okay, I've slept with at the time, you know, maybe like 60 people. I've slept with like way more people than that now, but it's like, okay, I've definitely come into contact with somebody who has a genital herpes infection, but they probably didn't know it or were not telling me because not everybody has symptoms. So technically, I have already been intimate statistically with people who have genital herpes. I've also come into contact with people with HPV, just statistically, purely mm -hmm. on statistics. And if I mm -hmm. really love and care about this person, and at the time I was just like, yes, like this is a person I love, Given also given the fact that it was one of the first things he brought up to me when we were starting to have an intimate conversation, um, it wasn't even like a confessional. He was just like, this is a thing, just letting you know. Like, so you know now. And God, just the conversations that it prompted between us were so eye-opening for me because it was really like my job to, to change my opinion. And I don't think that everybody, you know, I don't think you must, I don't think you're a bad person if you're like, I'm not ready to, you know, take that risk with this person. Like, that doesn't make you a bad person. But for me, I was just like, no, like, this is 100% worth it, without a doubt, when I when I really think about it, you know, even if I get a... So what you're saying is if you want to increase intimacy, uh, get an STI. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that STIs, well, it I mean... Uh -huh. a sentence of decreasing. That, that's, that's very important, I feel. Yeah, I guess... Uh, 
every really every person has their their sexual considerations and STIs are one type of sexual consideration but you could have no STI and you know like maybe you have trauma that makes sex difficult for you to navigate in certain ways obviously that's not the same thing as an STI but that is like a special consideration if you want to be intimate with me and while I don't have an STI that can be contracted it's like no, like you are actually going to have to do a little bit of heavy lifting if you want to be intimate with me. And while I think this is not something that you can wrap your mind around in the early days of having an STI when you're still just getting adjusted to it, like it's a really great asshole filter because not only does it force you to have the conversation, it forces other people, like you just become more intentional is what I guess I'm trying to say. Like, I have had Mm -hmm. so much sex just completely unaware and I don't regret any of the sex I've had, but I wish I had been more intentional with it for sure. Mm. And I know while I'm not really like having sex with new partners at the moment, if I were to be, I just know that everything from my life experience as I get older just is going to make me a more intentional sex partner. And that is also the... And now it has gotten, yeah, so intentional to where you do some amazing things like pouring wine into your mouth from a yeah, glass I that's attached that. to a pussy plug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my old roommate plug. took pussy that plug? It was a, How it's technically it? a butt plug. It's like a wine glass that instead of has a base, has like a butt plug attached to it. And like, I would have done it uh-huh. anally, but like, it just wasn't the day for it. So I was like, let me pop this in my vag. And then my friend, Chloe, who used to be my roommate, we were like, let's take pictures. And I'm like, I have just the prop. And it's cool because uh, I love I love non-sexual nudity that appears sexual on the surface level. Like if you're looking at me take a photo yeah. of a wine glass coming out of my vagina, like, yeah, like seems like some crazy, you know, content there. But like, it's not that it's not sexual for me. Like I'm just like, <laughs> this is my idea of a fun time. It's just like being yeah. wacky, yes. just being like, what is yes. the weird? Maybe I am like a bit of like a, you know, I, I am going for shock value to a certain degree, but it's like way more than just like trying to be weird. It's just like, yeah, like why the fuck not do this? Like why not see what this looks like or if I can attempt to suck my own dick with a strap on or whatever, you know? It's yeah. like just why not? You totally can. <laughs> but like I am curious, does that have any element of like eroticism or arousal for you or is it truly in the in the frame of, I mean, not... Uh, sterile but and just humor but I'm just curious where it falls on that spectrum it definitely does um I think that I've been a person who has been focusing a lot more on emotional intimacy and eroticism than physical in the past couple years I think that I spent so much time trying to receive very intense physical sensation that I really neglected to form emotional intimacy and have emotional erotic relationships. And uh, (laughs) like something my boyfriend and I say to each other a lot is like, you've got such a hot brain. (laughs) And like, Mm. it's definitely, I mean, like, 
there's so much more to our relationship than just what's in our brains. Like physical intimacy is one component of sexuality and arousal. But I guess historically as a sexual being, I have overemphasized the physical side of sexuality and I'm really enjoying the beauty of the emotional side of it. So mm. having said that, like, yes, putting a wine glass in my crotch and having my roommate take pictures of me, like, yes, there's like an erotic element to it for sure. And if anything, it just creates a fun mind game of like, okay, like, well, what if this had happened? Like, what if I did this at a party? Like, what if I, yeah. you know, like brought out my big ride on vibrator and had all my friends ride it. And then we took, like, it just makes me continue to extrapolate on other ideas of like ways I can, it's like, I'm making these sex toys more pedestrian in a way, but I'm also not, I, it's like the pedestrian quality of it is sexy to me. It's just like making them mm. more everyday objects. And it's like, I don't know, me 10 years ago might look at a sex toy, might have looked at a sex toy and been like, oh, and then me today is just like, it's like I'm looking at, you know, <laughs> a dinner plate. Just any other household exactly. object. Exactly. Yeah. But like you said, I think it brings up a that sexuality is so complex and interwoven into so many other parts of our life. So it doesn't have to just be like, I'm super horny or turned on and I want to like play physically. It can also be your humor or the way that you express yourself, what you wear, how you dance, and that sexuality can be a part of that too. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. <laughs> I think that so much of my expression is much more thoughtless than it might seem. I really like <laughs> when people look at my art, for instance, and they're like, what message are you trying to say with this? And I'm just like, honestly, whatever the fuck you think it's supposed to be, I just tried to make an image that was aesthetically pleasing to me, and you can read into it all you want. But I never really, I mean, when I'm educating, I have an intention, but when I'm being silly, when I'm being artistic and creative, I think that the education is like, more implicit than explicit, and I really enjoy that. But sometimes it also makes me feel very imposter syndrome because I'm just like, wow, I haven't really done anything educational in a few days. I really need to educate. But then I'm like, wait a minute, like people are taking away a lot more affirmation from the from things, or not more affirmation, but people are affirmed. When, when I'm just be in a different way. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, this isn't about education versus non-education, but it, I, I, maybe a year ago I realized, oh, it's not my sexy content that does the best for me. It's my goofy content. And while, you know, maybe people are attracted to me as a person there, they also think I have a hot brain, just like my boyfriend, Mark. <laughs> oh. I mean, I, I feel like we could keep this conversation going, whether it's about the Kardashians or this forever, but we have to start wrapping okay. up. I, have, I don't know, Simone, if you have another question, but one last question I have is, do you think that people assume that you're having more sex than you're having? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think that like, 
I wish I had like a, a GoPro strap, an invisible GoPro strap to my body during my most like sexually adventurous years because sex for me used to be a game of like how literally I would play a game with myself. How many different people can I fuck in a week? Like <laughs> that would be a game. I And? And like I could rarely get above three and I would, one maybe one of these is I'll get to four different individuals in a week. <laughs> um, I, I guess outside of like, a group situation. I have had group encounters, which have been cool. But um, <laughs> but now I guess I'm just like, I think I've just done that. And honestly, you know what? I have been thinking more and more about not becoming a porn star, but doing some more like intimate stuff on camera. And I think that my sexuality, it is unfortunately like... <laughs> When you work with sexuality on a daily basis, it's not that it like makes your sex life suck, but it just makes you so much more aware of things that you do. I feel at least I need to take a step back in order to really enjoy it with fresh eyes each time. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm definitely having less sex than people think I'm having, 100%. (laughs) I feel that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, Zoe, thank you so fucking much for joining us. We already mentioned, but if our listeners want to find you on the interwebs, your Instagram is at Thongria, uh, T-H-O-N-G-R-I-A. And to purchase all the rad stuff you're selling, the as ethically sourced as possible stuff you're selling, (laughs) uh, at Shop Spectrum Boutique. And the website is spectrumboutique.com. Zoe, thank you so, so much for joining us. Before we finish up, we just want to give all of you listeners a few updates. Remember that we now have a Patreon, patreon.com slash sluts and scholars, where you can get extra episodes, extra content, and more. In addition, for the next couple weeks, we're going to be featuring a trailer from one of our colleagues at the Pleasure Podcasts. Here's another one now. Stimulated by sexual pleasure and sexual politics? Sex Out Loud, hosted by me, Tristan Terramino, is the go-to show to get an insider's perspective from leaders in the LGBTQ community, the adult industry, and the sex-positive world. Hear from artists like Janet Mock, Bridget Everett, Kate Bornstein and Shine Louise Houston, experts Emily Nagoski and Chris Donahue, activists like Jessica Valenti, Connor Habib, and Soraya Kamali, and icons Margaret Cho and Dr. Joycelyn Elders. Sex education, social justice, gender, kink, feminism, sex work, non-monogamy, porn. If it's on your mind or in your feed, we're talking about it. Plus, we're committed to showcasing underrepresented voices you won't hear in mainstream media. Listen every Friday live at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on voiceamerica.com or subscribe to the podcast. A Sluts and Scholars.